This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. This episode is supported by the Earth Journalism Network. It is an overcast July afternoon here at Kolonji Ecological Farm in Pudukottai district in the heart of Tamil Nadu in southern India. I have to remove my footwear as I step into the field. The red earth beneath my feet is soft. It has been tilled neatly into geometric patterns. This is the handiwork of around 8 women farmers who are now bent over preparing this small patch of land within Kolonji's 30 acre farm. In most farms we see one or two crops, but here the women will sow not one but at least 3 to 4 crops including groundnuts and millets i can keep earning an income for 6 months or more the insect might eat some of the crops but i will have another crop to get an income from we are able to protect the main crops in a mixed farm kolonji has created many such model farms that are emulated by other farmers across tamil nadu and other states this is a way of low input rain fed farming that takes agrobiodiversity into account but what is the role of agrobiodiversity in times when farmers are pushed to practice resource intensive agriculture when there is farm distress welcome to this episode of climate emergency on suno india i am mahima jain your host for this episode and today we will be looking at the importance of agrobiodiversity for the farmer and the environment indian farmers have been demanding reforms to alleviate farm distress for decades some of this distress is because of poor soil fertility climate change erratic rains poor irrigation and several other environmental factors in 2020 the indian government passed three farm laws with the promise of reforming the agricultural sector but what do these laws mean for agrobiodiversity first let's take a close look at agrobiodiversity and what it means agrobiodiversity refers to the many and dynamic ways in which farmers use the natural diversity of the environment for livelihoods the farmers consciously choose a mix of crops and the specific methods of farming often these are local crops suited to that region agrobiodiversity includes aspects of management of land water and animals around as well in contrast the practice of monoculture farming is where the same crop is grown every season year on year this is what most farmers follow now often they will grow a single crop such as rice or wheat on the same land year after year this practice can threaten the existence of local breeds of crops insects microorganisms and so on I spoke to Dr. G. V. Ramanjaneelu, Executive Director of Center for Sustainable Agriculture in Secunderabad, Andhra Pradesh, to understand what agrobiodiversity and monoculture farming look like in India. He is a former bureaucrat who now works on public policy. He also works with farmers to establish ecological and sustainable agricultural models. One of the major threat today with the climate change and agrobiodiversity, if you look at, is about reducing the number of crops which are grown. 
say if you if you take uh, nationally uh, it's just about four crops which have nearly about 70% of the cropped area and the states uh, also it's the same situation if you take tamil nadu or if you take andhra pradesh telangana it's just about two three crops occupy most of the area and uh, within the crop also the diversity is very little say rice for example which is sown and grown in Telang- uh, telangana or andhra pradesh or even tamil nadu if you take most of the rice nearly 80% of the rice comes from just one or two varieties so varietal diversity and crop diversity both are very important for adapting to the ch- climate, changing climate and uh, moving towards the needs kind of uh, assistance and support from the the public systems in 2020 the government passed three laws on farming i will not get into the laws in particular but broadly the discussion around the laws especially among protesting farmers have been about how it does not ensure minimum support price the push towards contract farming and the lifting of regulations around storing of essential grains which can then lead to hoarding The laws do not mention either conservation or promotion of agrobiodiversity. They do not even seem to consider it. We need to understand these laws in the context of the Green Revolution, where the Indian government promoted high-yielding varieties of mostly rice and wheat to deal with the food insecurity of the 1960s. It has to be understood in the context of globalization of the economy, where monocultures were promoted. I spoke to Oswald Quintel, the co-founder of Kudumbam, to help contextualize the farm laws. Before Green Revolution, we had thousands of different rice varieties. We had thousands of different millet varieties, pulse, oil seeds. We had thousands of different vegetables. Now, it is the market that deter- determines what uh, should be cultivated. it is the multinational who controls the food industry determine what should be cultivated so today farmers do not decide what to cultivate what variety to cultivate the farmers cannot think of an intercrop now the crop diversity the species diversity is what determines drought proofing now if there is a drought if one species does not perform well the others uh, there's another species that will perform but in the case of, when you have only one species if there is a drought you may lose that species and you will lose the whole crop itself that is one one issue the other issue is now if there is a pest problem if you have only one single species the whole crop is cut the farmer depends on that crop so losing that crop is a nightmare for the farmer oswald quintel started kulunji ecological farm with the late dr namalwar an organic farming expert and renowned agricultural activist Oswald Quintel has more than 4 decades of experience in biodiverse farming, water conservation and sustainable agriculture. He says that the laws are set to destroy the little attachment people have to their land. Now these farm laws are further destroying farmers and their children's the very little uh, attachment to the land 
it is destroying that attachment to land. Now it's so difficult to get youth in agriculture. From 1982 till today, if you ask me, we can see a drastic decline in youth in agriculture. FAO says, FAO study says that 80% of our land is not fit for cultivation. Soil, we have lost our soil fertility. So if we do not give confidence, our laws today do not give confidence to farmers that farming is possible. That the state understands the magnitude of the problem, the pathetic condition the farmers are, and that the, the state needs to be supportive in at least giving a minimum support price to the farmer. If the farmer, if he feels that the state itself doesn't understand the situation, the, the total, um, we will in the next decade, we will face a very, very serious crisis. Uh, we will have land, but we will not have youth to be involved in that land. I think the state needs to understand the magnitude of this issue. Farm activists and experts like Oswald Quintel point out that the direction in which Indian agriculture is headed does not take into account its environmental impact and the basic principles of agroecological farming. In India, 86% of the farmers cultivate small lands that are less than 2 acres. Most of these farms are rain-fed, which is an added uncertainty as the climate changes. Farms like Kolunji provide an alternative to monocultural farming இப்போ மானாவரி பயிர்கள் நாம் ஃபார்மில் என்ன பண்ணியிருக்கோம்னா இப்போ நம்ம பார்க்கலாம் இப்போ நாங்கள் வந்து ஒரு சிறுதானியங்கள் For some farm models, we have sowed foxtail millet mixed with horse gram and another millet and groundnut. For instance, when we cultivate groundnut, yellow flowers will bloom. The insects will attack the groundnut. So when we grow other plants which attract the same insects, the insects will eat such plants and the groundnut will survive. It will mature for harvest. Since this farm started, we have not used pesticides or insecticides. We should not kill the insects, but we have to provide food for the insects also. That's Ushanandini a coordinator at Kulunji who has helped create several models of ecological farms. She explains what such a biodiverse farm looks like. In a nutshell, farming models that Kulunji promotes have a combination of crops suited to the local climate. They require fewer external inputs and are surrounded by different tree species. Kulunji helps farmers to focus on water conservation and soil health too. Farmers will take into account the roles and services provided by livestock, microorganisms and birds. Experts say as farmers face the impacts of climate change, many such models have been developed across the country in the last few years. Dr. Raman Junelu explains why these models work well as climate change adaptation measures. One of the major impacts of climate change is the variations in the weather. 
so the temperature rainfall variations have increased so to adapt to these conditions uh, moving towards sustainable agriculture practices particularly improving the soil uh, organic matter and also going for uh, multiple cropping systems so that uh, adaptation will be better so these two are seen um, as contributing for a better adaptation and uh, in that process uh, across the country there are number of uh, different number of models which were tried out in terms of having multiple crops both uh, the, uh, to which the cropping patterns which suit the local soil conditions and local ecological conditions and also in terms of economics uh, which can, uh, one can compensate another and biologically synergistic uh, crop combinations which means uh, 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 both the two species are more, more than two species when they are grown together there could be a competition between the two and there could be a synergistic relationship between the two so a co combinations are worked out in a way that there is more synergistic relationship between the two so one can support other crop kind of thing. so that's the models which are evolved across the country yet these models remain on the fringes Mainstream adaptation of farming models like the ones Kolonji and others are promoting is exception, not the norm. Farmers rely on market forces that promote monoculture or use only a few variety of crops. For instance, companies such as PepsiCo ensure that only a particular variety of potato called the FC5 is used for making Lay's potato chips. Karthik Gunasekar, an activist with the Chennai Climate Action Group, explains. Uh, for example, why do we need homogenization in open markets? It's because uh, these large producers or large mm -hmm. retailers will need one selling point for the uh, consumers. In that way, uh, apart from agro diversity being uh, biodiversity being lost, the food uh, uh, diversity, the food culture of people is also being lost. Mm. So everybody reads one variety of wheat, one variety of rice, mm. one variety of dal. Mm. irrespective of whether they are in Punjab, Chennai or uh, in Northeast uh, region. So that itself is a huge implication on the consumer side as well. As you said, uh, uh, one of the uh, bigger, like uh, large, even FAO and various other organizations are talking about this, uh, trying to localize uh, the uh, markets and localize the production system mm. according to the agroecological zone of that particular mm. place. Uh, so, which might not be a very viable thing for a larger corporate to come into and enter and uh, succeed. On the way to Kulunji Ecological Farms in Pudukote district, I saw acres and acres of either rice or banana fields. Rice is procured by the public distribution system or the PDS for a fixed rate called the minimum support price. The system ensures that those who are poor get heavily subsidized wheat or rice. The banana, on the other hand, becomes raw material in the processed foods industry as well as the fast-moving consumer goods sector. Both rice and banana are highly energy and water-intensive crops. There is high risk but also high returns. Despite these risks, it is hard for farmers to switch to biodiverse, climate-friendly and sustainable agricultural models. Dr. Raman Janelu explains why. One of the difficulties in going for multiple crops is uh, farmers have to sow many times and harvest many times and operations also have to be done different times because there is a multiple cropping, multiple crops in the farm. Second, uh, also in terms of yield, 
there could be each crop yield if you take if it is for home consumption that is perfectly fine multiple cropping model works but if it is uh, for a market if there is a uh, too little yield uh, which can be taken to market or uh, and more than what they can consume always there will be a problem the government on the other hand incentivizes farmers for growing rice and wheat as i said these are procured under the pds system and the farmers are mostly assured a price for it farmers themselves may not be able to change particularly in a situation where entire public policy encourages monoculture of crops that's where actually the problem lies say for example entire government procurement is only on paddy so obviously most of the farmers uh, will transit towards paddy production whenever there is a water they will transit towards paddy similarly the the growing market in the commercial crops is only for cotton so most of the farmers are growing towards cotton currently all the subsidy schemes of the government are supporting only high input intensive farming models say for example if i am using more water i am more incentivized because my entire power is subsidized and there is a dams built and then water is given freely and if i if i economize on my water and use less and less water i have no incentive at all and uh, entire procurement system in this country if you take uh, whether it is about paddy or wheat or cotton all are uh, high water intensive so the price security which government provides through minimum support price and procurement operations are all high water intensive crops so obviously there is a every incentive for farmer towards moving towards high water intensive crops high chemical intensive production because all the agrochemicals are subsidized so chemical fertilizers for every bag of urea there is a subsidy of nearly 1500 rupees and for every bag of dap there is a subsidy of nearly 2000 rupees whereas if farmer has to move towards uh, organic farming or natural farming farmer has to make on their own recent estimates show that central government subsidies amount to rupees 125500 crores the annual state government subsidies are nearly equal at about rupees 115500 crores these include fertilizer subsidies that dr ramanjanelu pointed out There are also credit subsidies, crop insurance subsidies, and expenditures towards price support. These figures have been culled out from a study submitted to the Fourteenth Financial Commission. We will put the reference in the show notes. We were trying to make a calculation uh, in terms of uh, how much subsidy a Punjab farmer gets for growing rice and wheat, and why they are not actually transiting from Punjab uh, farmers are not transiting from carb, rice and wheat system. So. nearly they get about 1 and 1/2 lakh rupees per acre kind of support and the net income they get from one acre will not be that much so the the, the main support which is coming in the form of sub- subsidies uh, and then the entire assurance of procurement 100% of procurement these two are the drivers which are driving the current cropping pattern so that if that has to change farmers themselves cannot change on their own unless these subsidy schemes are also recasted so that's a important issue otherwise farmers will be at a losing end unsustainable agricultural practices are the main source of water pollution the largest contributor of biodiversity loss and a significant contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in europe centuries of industrial agriculture has led to loss of biodiversity of crops and insects such as butterflies earthworms and livestock 
In 2019, the European Court of Auditors noted that because of this loss of biodiversity, farms have been less productive over time. Despite the many cautionary tales, local and global, India may be set to repeat these mistakes by pushing an agricultural model which is resource intensive and unsuitable for a warming planet. Dr. Ramanjane Lu highlights some steps forward. So, in transition towards uh, organic and natural farming needs uh, first, um, uh, first and foremost is the equitable uh, subsidies. So, like I mentioned, uh, whether it is about fertilizer subsidy, whether it is about power subsidy. So, we need to quantize, uh, uh, quantify the entire subsidy given and give it to the farmers. I think that's directly give it to the farmers and let farmers make a choice. That's the first thing we need to look at. Second, we also need to look at uh, evolving new mechanisms of supporting this transition in terms of, uh, say, ecological uh, benefits which organic farming brings in. Unfortunately, Indian agricultural resource system is uh, uh, fixated at uh, in 1960s, so they are not uh, moved forward. Second and uh, last more important thing is about uh, when it comes to the farmers, uh, farmers are desperately looking for alternatives, but uh, what is promoted uh, in the name of organic and natural farming today is also uh, a very uh, outdated uh, and then belief-based systems. We need to move into modern scientific uh, agroecological approach towards uh, organic and natural farming. So if something uh, uh, which worked 60 years back is not working today as green revolution something which worked 3000 years back or 2000 years back also is not going to work today because there's a changing situation so both uh, climate is changing market is changing people's habits are changing so in that situation we need to modernize and adapt to the changing situations so it needs a lot of research and uh, a good quality extension which is knowledge based that is a transition. So that's where investments from the government is uh, very, very critical. Women at the Kolunji Ecological Farms go village to village, door to door to explain the benefits of alternative models of farming. Sometimes people hear them out. At other times, they shut their doors. Oshanandani recalls how she was dismissed by farmers in the early days of her career. What would she know about farming, they said. Today, Many of those farmers have adopted these very alternative models. Apart from consistent outreach by Kolunji, watching the climate change in front of their eyes was a wake-up call for many farmers. Oswald Quintil is hopeful that more people will join. The future is organic agriculture. The future is biodiversity-based ecological agriculture. The state uh, unsustainable uh, practices, trying to un upscale unsustainable practices, is no longer possible. Now, these practices were introduced because the state subsidized them. Chemical fertilizers in 60s were subsidized. And 70, 80, 90, gradually the subsidy reduced. The subsidy in chemical pesticides has also reduced. So now farmers um, are desperately looking for alternatives. So farmers um, we, uh, now have started realizing that uh, the state is not understanding their problem. 
and that they have to come together they have to establish alternatives and in establishing and upscaling alternatives lies their future thank you for listening to this episode of climate emergency you can listen to more episodes on our website sinoindia.in or any other podcast app of your choice this episode was supported by the earth journalism network it was reported and written by me anima jain edited by manika rao and produced by rakesh kamal Thank you.